in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray. God, as we've come to consider the story of your one and only Son coming to this planet, we pray for insight and understanding on what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in, we're in the midst of, our, of the Advent season, and we've spent the last couple of weeks preparing and talking about the, the first Advent and the second Advent. And now as we turn our attention particularly to the story of uh, the birth of Jesus, there is no better time to talk about the simulation argument. Are you uh, familiar with the uh, simulation argument? It's one of my favorite Christmas themes. So let's, we read it around the fire to the kids on the night before Christmas. Uh, The simulation argument is the idea that uh, has been proposed in one form or the other Uh, by philosophers for centuries, but recently uh, bolstered by some technological uh, insights and advances, uh, this idea that uh, we as humans don't live in a base reality, but uh, live in some simulation has become more and more uh, prominent. The idea again is that there are uh, many layers of uh, reality and that we may not be, that we cannot detect and that we may be at the base. And so we talked about this a little bit before here at Advent Hope, and again, it's one of my favorite Christmas themes. So bear with me as we jump in a little bit to simulation arguments. So recently, physicists, philosophers, cosmologists, and others have joined together in dialogue on this hypothesis, this idea that we as humans live in a simulation. In fact, in 2016, uh, luminaries such as Neil deGrasse Tyson, our own uh, Dr. Tyson from the Hayden Planetarium just across the park, Elon uh, Musk and uh, Bill Nye all came out in support of the idea of simulation, the simulation argument. In fact, uh, they assert that there's probably at least a 50-50 chance this is uh, Tyson in, in particular, says there's at least a 50-50 chance that we are all living in a computer a simulation, that there is a higher power somewhere and that we are living in their uh, computer hard drive. Isn't that, let's sing Silent Night again. It's fun, just a Christmas, isn't that a great Christmas uh, thought? Uh, DeGrasse Tyson says this, I think the likelihood is very high that we live in a, in a simulation. The noted gap between uh, human and chimpanzee intelligence is just 2%. Our DNA is 98% the the same, and so there's a likelihood that there is somewhere, something, someone who has just a little more or a lot more intelligence that we do that is really controlling all things, and and this is a quote from Tyson, we would be drooling, blithering idiots in the presence of this higher being. 
And so this uh, idea of, of a simulation argument is, is, is increasingly prominent of peop among people who are thinking about such things. And it goes back to this idea that was presented by philosopher Nick Bostrom from Oxford University who proposed this idea way back in 2003. Again, though, philosophers have been wrestling with whether we live in reality or not for thousands of, of years. But Bostrom wrote a, a paper dealing with what he was calling simulated, the simulated argument. And it's similar if you've seen the film uh, The Matrix. The Matrix is kind of getting at this idea that uh, there's, a, there's a simulation going on. Though Bostrom assumes, though, that uh, it, this is far deeper than what we remember from the film The Matrix. This is a quote from an article on him. Bostrom assumes that the human mind is substrate independent that human consciousness isn't strictly dependent on the biological brain itself, and that if we could physically replicate the brain in sufficient detail in another form, such as within a computer, it would also have the subjective experience of consciousness. The replication doesn't have to be perfect, it just has to be good enough that the replicated being has a human-like subjective experience, a mind, and an advanced civilization with sufficient computing power would be able to pull this off and would be classified as post-human. This, uh, this talk about the simulation argument see, may seem like a, an odd fit for a message three days before Christmas. But I would assert to you that the simulation argument affirms the idea of an unseen uh, realm and of an intelligent post-human or whatever you want to call it, creator, who can interact with us on our layer of reality, exactly what is described in our text of emphasis today, John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with the God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the idea that there is a, a, a higher being, that there is a, a, a post-human, or post-human is probably the wrong term in the Christian context, but a, a, a beyond human, that, uh, that is beyond our intelligence and has created all things. This is what John chapter 1 is asserting, and this is what philosophers and cosmologists and, and engineers are coming to recognize that something, there's some legitimacy to this idea of an unseen realm. By the way, I mean, if you're, do we have any computer engineers here? You want a computer engineer or a computer programmer? I mean, this idea that things are created by words that John asserts in John chapter 1, there was a word, and the word created all things. I mean, this is, this is computer language. This is how things are indeed made today. Computer programmers, they use words. They use languages like, like Python or whatever your, your language is to create things. And it's not just now like virtual things that... Physical things are created through language. Words are used to make, make things. And so John 1 has particular rele relevance to us today, maybe in, in ways that people in past times never could have understood. The idea that the creator uses words to create things. Speech, language creates things. This supports the idea of, of Genesis and, and John that God speaks and creates and things come from God's word. And so I think the simulation argument is actually a great subject 
before, three days before uh, Christmas. Uh, so there is, as we've shown, there is a movement. By the way, how about the, those angels? I mean, this is a, a simulation. So there's shepherds out in the field. You know the story. There's shepherds that are out in the field, and they're minding their own business, watching over sheep. And suddenly, whoosh, the unseen uh, realm is revealed to them. That's the story in Luke. They, they are there, and right before them, they don't see angels shoot in from a star. They don't see, it's just suddenly they see them, and suddenly they're gone. This, again, sounds like computer programming language, right? You hit the button, revealed, button, gone. Unseen realms. And so there's this understanding among thoughtful people embracing the idea of an unseen realm, that there are things beyond our current understanding. These are people who don't come necessarily from religious backgrounds, certainly don't come from Christian backgrounds, who are saying there is something to this idea that there is more than we're seeing. There is more than we know. Now, the irony here is that uh, for many of us who have long ago embraced the idea of an unseen realm, connecting with God in this unseen realm uh, has been innately difficult for many of us. Uh, there is an argument that most Christians in uh, what's considered the West affirm intellectually the general uh, tenets of Christianity, but in practice function as agnostics. Meaning that we uh, profess intellectually to believe in a God of the unseen realm that transcends what we uh, know. But in practice, we don't actually access the, the, the connection with this God. It's like, having a, it's like having an access to a, to a car. And having an access in, to a car when you live in the city is, is kind of nice. I mean, not everybody has access. So it's like having access to a, to a car. Some of you drove here. Some of you came other ways. But you have an access to a car. It's like having access to a, a car and knowing everything there is to know about the car or affirming the idea of the guy. I, I affirm that there is an engine in the car. I affirm that there are wheels on the a car. I affirm that when you touch this button, the car is going to come on. But then, never actually using the car to get anywhere. This, this, is, this, is, this is what's happening for many of us who uh, affirm the idea of an unseen realm, believe intellectually in, in, in tenets that, that are professed by followers or organizations that, that uh, adhere to the teachings of this creator, but then never actually access or use the power that comes along with the God of the unseen realm. Sitting in the car, but choosing to walk everywhere. Never, turn, never, never actually put the foot on the gas and go where you need to go. And so the question for us today is what makes us this way is as people, many of us here who have affirmed the idea of an unseen realm, that there is a God bigger than the reality that we currently know, and that recognizing that what, what uh, DeGrasse Tyson and Elon Musk and Bill Nye, the science guy, are coming to, to understand that we, this, this has been part of human history all along. There's something bigger than us, but what makes us still focus on our own self-sufficiency, still take care of things on our own instead of pushing the gas to actually access the power that comes with this God of the unseen realm? What is it 
that is limiting our connection with God? Well, we could talk all day about the answer to that question. I have three assertions uh, for you to wrestle as we wrestle with that question. First, first, we as humans, and maybe you as an individual, often overemphasize, I'll confess to this myself, we overemphasize our own one cognition over the other. So people who, researchers who study thinking and how the brain works and reasoning uh, have come to the understanding that our, our brain functions in two ways. There's two ways that we were cognitive. We have the, the analytic part of the way that we understand things, and we have the intuitive thing. So we, 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 we analyze things, but there's also an intuition. There's kind of an innate thing that we kind of understand. And I mean, some of this is just very natural. As a, as a, as a baby, as a child, a baby knows how to, 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 to breastfeed. Just no, no, you know, you know, we had three kids. We didn't say, okay, Levi, you, you, here's how, here's a chart. You do this and this and this and this. Uh, somehow they know, and it just works, and that's part of this, the intuitive thinking. There was no analytics. There were no PowerPoint slides. There was no, none of that. It just, they, they got it. So there's this intuitive part that doesn't go away. But then there's also the analytic side of our, our brain. Now, people, who, again, who research this say that both of these are incredibly important. But in Western society in particular, we've tended to overemphasize the analytics. Research things, we study things, incredibly important. We don't want to give up on, on analytics. You have to analyze things. But there is an intuitive way of thinking that is also incredibly uh, important. You've got to have both. Uh, Daniel uh, Kahneman wrote in his book, Thinking Fast and, and Slow, in 2011, about this very subject, these two ways of thinking. And ba basic thing, you've got to use both. And so when you use one or overemphasize one over the other, you're not going to be really using your brain in the way that you should. And, and the potential is that you're going to miss out on things. And so researchers also identified that those people who, who analyze always overusing intuition have a much difficult time connecting with the idea of God. In fact, of being religious. Uh, so if you, 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 you stamp down intu intuition, that it makes it very hard to connect with religion and with God. And so we overemphasize one cognition over the other. And right now, analytics is, I mean, that's what is promoted, that we've got to analyze and, and study things. And of course, that's incredibly important. Many of you are researchers here. We want to be researching things. So this is in no way uh, tamping down the idea of analytics. But you've got to have both. There's intuition uh, as well. And those work together. I mean, how many of you have made really bad choices after doing a lot of research and analyzing things? I mean, Sometimes you'll do, you do the analytics and it still, it still doesn't work, and that's because you've got to have both working together, intuition and analyzing things. Both parts of the brain, both of the ways in which we think need to be utilized, and when we overemphasize one over the other, it makes, us, it, makes it difficult for us to connect with the unseen realm. Uh, secondly, the second reason that we have a hard time connecting with God. We overestimate the breadth of human knowledge or our own knowledge. Think about this. Well, think about this question. How much do you really know 
we've talked about this before, so bear with me. How much do you really know of the knowledge that there is to know in the universe? As an individual, how much of that do you know? What percentage? Anybody know 10%? All the knowledge there is to know in the universe. Anybody here know 10% of the knowledge of the universe? Oh, you're being too hard on yourselves. Somebody's surely, no, you don't know 10%. How about 5%? How about 1%? Is there anybody here who knows 1% of all there is to know in the universe? If you can, we've got some very smart people here. If we took all of our intellectual capability and combined it, do you think any, that as a group we know 1% of human universal or universal knowledge? No way. Consider this. It wasn't that long ago that humans thought the earth was the center of the universe. I mean, for thousands of years, the earth is clearly the center of the universe, but through astronomy and cosmology, of course, we now know that, that indeed the earth is not uh, the center of the universe, that that's far from the tr tr uh, truth that the earth revolves around the sun, the sun is at the center of our solar system, our solar system is part of a galaxy, and a galaxy is just one of many billions of other galaxies. Now, did you know that it wasn't until 1929 when Edwin Hubble, uh, for which the Hubble Space Telescope uh, was, was named, he published his work uh, proving that our galaxy was not the only uh, galaxy in the universe. Up to that point, people, I mean, they would do, okay, the Earth is not the center of the universe, but our galaxy, it wasn't even a thought that there was more galaxies. Our galaxy is the galaxy, the universe and the galaxy were one and the same. Hubble identified the, the, uh, the Andromeda Nebula and as he recently did the math, that seems to be outside of our galaxy. But how is that possible? The universe is only made up of our galaxy. Well, of course, he recognized, and as the optics got better and better and better, oh, <laughs> what were we thinking? Our galaxy is, is one of billions of different galaxies. That was in 1929. That's less than 100 years ago. The, uh, there was a time, again, not that long ago, when we thought that the small, smallest uh, building block of life was the atom. Uh, scientists then discovered subatomic uh, particles, uh, leptons and uh, quarks. They used, in particular, the, the Stanford Linear Accelerator to, to, to shoot atoms. And in, in, in doing that, they started to recognize that there were weird things happening with these atoms, and oh, of course, there's building blocks below the atoms, like quarks and, and so on. And so it's led to quantum mechanics, which is way beyond my pay grade, as Obama once said. I am not qualified to talk to you about uh, quantum mechanics. There's a lot of knowledge that we do not have. And yet, we often, as humans, operate like we know enough to really make great decisions. And sometimes that may be true about some things, but the reality is there is a lot of knowledge that we just do not have access to yet. Y'all with me here? Okay. Are we okay acknowledging that? There's a lot more that, that's going on in the universe than we are currently uh, aware of. I won't get into space time and all of that. Again, that's beyond my, uh, my, my, my pay grade uh, here. So sometimes we over-rely on our knowledge base when there's a lot more going on that we don't know. And so this inhibits us from being connected to the unseen world and connected to uh, God. Finally, if we're honest, I'm not saying this is true about everyone, but for many of us, we don't actually spend that much time 
developing the ways in which we would connect with a God. We make very little time for spiritual connection uh, through prayer, through meditation, through fasting, and many of the other historic disciplines. You know, there are ways that people have tried throughout centuries to connect with, with God, and, and, and many of these we know work incredibly well, but if we're honest with ourselves, even as many of us here, and I recognize not everyone here is a person of faith, but many of us here who are per- people of faith, we know this, but the reality is we don't spend that much time or energy uh, dedicated to trying to connect with the unseen realm, co- trying to connect with God uh, in prayer, in, 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 in fasting, in meditation on uh, the word. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God uh, has conceived. No human mind can, has conceived us. The things that God has prepared for us are beyond our understanding. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. This is an invitation, by the way, to get connected with this God who knows the deep things, who is familiar with the realms that we don't see, who, who, who knows what's beyond our, our capability. This is an invitation to connect with him, and yet the reality is, and I know this, I'm not speaking to you particularly, you have to only determine that, but I've talked to enough of you to know that this is a challenge, spending, making time to connect with God through prayer and meditation, it's a challenge. And so, why is it that even though we may profess that we believe in this God, that we believe in the unseen realm, that connecting with him is so challenging. We overemphasize one cognition, one way of thinking over the other. We overestimate the breadth of our own human knowledge, and we don't actually spend that much time developing the ways in which it has been proven to connect with God. So where does uh, a Christmas fit, fit into this? <laughs> Where's the, where, where does the, where's the, the work of God through the, the baby Jesus fit into this? Well, the, the Christmas story is unequivocal. There indeed is a larger unseen world. Uh, God is the, is the programmer of this reality, if you will. There has been a virus in the, in the system that has infected the program. Uh, but God cares very deeply for his uh, creation, and he has acted and interjected himself into our reality by coming as a, as a baby, by living as a man, and by dying and rising again. And so we see that the, the solution to the, the problem of connection with God isn't I'm just going to uh, try a lot harder. I'm going, to, I'm going to figure out the right way to think, and I'm not going to overemphasize one way of thinking over the other. I'm just going to fix my brain, and I'm going to think properly. And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm not going to overestimate my own breadth of human knowledge. I'm going to be real about myself and the way I think, and uh, I'm going to fix that problem. And then, oh, yeah, I'm going to spend a lot more time uh, doing the spiritual disciplines that I should do. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to meditate on the word more. I'm going to do all of these things. This would maybe be our natural inclination. I'm just going to do all of those things. We've identified some problems, some reasons that we're not connecting, so let's just fix that. 
But, but you and I both know that fixing those things is incredibly difficult, right? I mean, I don't know anybody who's like, you know, I uh, wish I, 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 I could uh, pray more and uh, I'm, I'm just going to work really hard and, and, and do it and everything's going to be good and extended years being able to be really successful in that and everything's going to be crying. Or I, I'm going to change the way I think completely and, and recognize I overanalyze and so I, I am now not going to overanalyze and I'm going to use more intuition. Making these changes are incredibly, you can make some changes. Don't get me wrong. You can make some changes. You can mix things up. But the total transformation that really needs to happen in your mind and your heart, it's, it's challenging. And the only hope that we have is that God, in the story of the baby Jesus interjected into our reality, can do something for us. We said that uh, we have a hard time with balance in the way we uh, think. Uh, we read in John chapter 10 and verse 30 that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Where we're un unbalanced, Jesus himself was balanced in his understanding of God. In fact, so balanced that he was, was able to say, I and the Father are one. We are one and the, one, one and the same. We overestimate our breadth of knowledge. Jesus did not do this because we're told he knew all things. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was, was Jesus. And all things were created through him. I mean, he knew all things. He couldn't overestimate his uh, knowledge. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, before we even existed, before the, the, the world even existed, Jesus was chosen and he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God. See, Peter's saying, look, your only hope is not fixing yourself and getting a better balance on your cognition and praying more and reading more. Your only hope is connecting with one who has done what you could not do and allowing him to make the transformation in your experience that you need to be opened to the unseen world. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, whom, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now I would assert to you, this is great news. Your faith and your hope are not in your ability to fix all of your inabilities. If that's what your faith and hope are in, you are in desperate trouble because you are not going to fix yourself. As we say almost every week, I find this to be one of the most comforting things, especially in a place like New York where, where we are expected to have it all together. You know, New York, very professional city, a place where if you don't have it together, you are probably not making it here. And so it is asserted that you've got to have it together. But we can come together here as a community of people and we can say, we do not have it together. And in fact, we know that nobody has it together. The good news is there is one who has it together. And because he has it together, through him, we can have it together. Isn't this good news? Jesus was 
uh, connected to God. You know, sometimes we don't use the disciplines that we know can, can give us access to God. Very early in the morning, as was his practice, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place. Jesus practiced the discipline of, of prayer. See, Jesus has done what we have been incapable of doing. He was capable in the areas that we were not capable. Christmas affirms that God has interjected himself into human history and that Jesus has done what we cannot do. And through him, we have hope. Through belief in him, we have hope. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's John 1. That's our text of emphasis. We have seen the glory, his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. In him was life, and that life was light for all mankind. That sh light shines in the darkness. I like this passage because it co connects with those angels. Again, those shepherds are sitting out in the field, and it's dark. I mean, if you've ever been out in a dark field, I've never been out in a dark field tending sheep. I've been in a dark field. Uh, dark field tending sheep, minding your own business, and <laughs> somebody hit the button, and the lights went on, and there's the angels. The light shines in the darkness. This idea of a dramatic revealing. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. This is a great, great news. Back to DeGrasse Tyson. Again, he says, somewhere out there could be a being whose intelligence is that much more greater than our own. In his presence, we would be drooling blithering idiots. If that's the case, it's easy for me to imagine that everything in our lives is just a creation of some sort of entity. See, DeGrasse Tyson, he's just, he's right at the edge. I mean, in essence, whether he's intentional or not, he's, he's affirming the idea of the, the creation. I mean, listen to this. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. This is God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God is affirming, look, listen, it's okay, you live in your reality, but there's a whole other thing going on, and I know what's going on in this whole other thing. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. In Psalm chapter 89 and verse 5, the heavens praise your wonders, O God. Your faithfulness, too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. This is, this is language of another world. Language of another reality. And then we get to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Love comes from God. What is the basic uh, building block of, of, of life? Is it uh, protons or neutrons or quarks? According to the Bible, we're being a little generous here, love is the basic building block of the universe. Love comes from God. Everything who, who loves comes from God because God is love. Love is the building block. And so when we read the companion text, for God so loved the world. 
that he sent his only son. This is what we're thinking about this week of the holiday season. In a couple days, you're going to celebrate Christmas, and we're going to open presents and whatever. But this all goes back to the idea that God sent his son into the world. He injected himself into our uh, reality, and he did this so that we can have hope. Jesus does what we cannot do, and as we embrace Jesus' work, it opens us to God's ability to work within us, to be connected with him, and to start becoming what we want to become and what he's calling us into. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have life eternal. God of the unseen realm interjecting himself into our reality. And there are flashes throughout the Bible of that, those realms being opened up and people seeing things beyond our, our comprehension and God calling us to embrace his work in Jesus. And then we get to the, the end of the, the story, the end of the Bible story, where, again, the unseen realm is opened. You know, there's a whole, by the way, there's a whole book of the Bible called the Revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the full narrative. And the idea is that in the revelation, we're getting a little taste of, again, the realms being opened, the shutter being opened and seeing another world, another reality, things beyond. It's the same kind of thing that Tyson and Musk and, 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 and Bill Nye, the science guy, are talking about. There's something more potentially going on. The Bible affirms that there is something more going on, and there are places where it flashes open. You go to the book of Revelation where things are revealed, where Jesus is revealed. In Revelation chapter 21, this is the very end of the Bible. Last thing God wants us to remember, Revelation 21, these words. And this is John who's getting, he's getting a little aperture opening to see into the unseen realm, seeing into the, what's to come in the future. And he says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea separating people. I saw this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is among his people see this this is by the way is the wrap up this is the wrap up the entire story the Bible story the beginning of the story is God separated from his people no longer is he able to live with them Revelation 21 is a new picture God no longer separated now look God's dwelling place he's going to live with his people He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The the virus is wiped out. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the promise that we celebrate 
as we remember God interjecting himself into our reality through the birth of Jesus. And God's invitation for us now is to embrace Jesus' work on our behalf that we may be opened to the unseen world. Amen.